What's going on, everybody? I'm Akeem Jones from the Solutions Group. I got my man here with me, chat with Pat. Yeah, yo. Very special guest with us today, Miss Tiffany Ward. We're going to be talking about uh, multifamily real estate investing. We're going to be talking about building a team, finding deals, uh, financing, just a, a, an organic conversation and a topic that I feel like a lot of people don't uh, know a bunch about, which is uh, multifamily real estate investing. I think a lot of us are focused on single family. Um, so I, I think it's good to get a change of pace. Um, so let's let's jump straight into it. Pat, Pat, you got anything before we before we uh, jump it off? Nah, man, I'm, I'm excited about this opportunity. I appreciate you sharing your platform. I think this is major. Uh, you know, we, you and I, we've always talked about group economics in the past. And then to have someone, you know, from the you know, ODU community that has actually donated, that's able to share that experience is golden. So now I'm, I'm, I'm excited, man. It should be good. But, but, all right. Well, Tiff, you want to give us a little bit of background about you, um, your, your elevator pitch, whatever, whatever you want. Oh, to gosh. Do. The mic is. Um, sure. So my name is Tiffany Ward. I am based in Richmond, Virginia. I did attend Old Dominion University for undergrad and Virginia Commonwealth for grad school. Um, I currently work for a top technology company in sales, technical sales. Um, I just had my first baby. He's six weeks old, so I'm excited about that. And I am in the real estate space. So um, I purchased my first home at 23, single family, um, FHA loan home. Um, and I purchased my first multifamily deal last year. So that's what we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. Dope, dope. So working and investing in real estate at the same time. Right, right. All right. All right. So uh, how we how we want to jump into this? Um, maybe let's start with how'd you how'd you get into real estate? Like what 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 turned you on? What put the real estate bug into you? Um, I've always had an interest in real estate, and I think for me, I'm very finance focused, money conscious. Um, my parents did a good job of teaching me the importance of money and what it can do for you and the power of saving and investing. Um, and I learned at an early age that the best way to gain wealth is through the stock market and through real estate. Um, so I've been interested in real estate at a young age. And I think coming out of college, I knew that I didn't want to move back home with my parents. And they had taught me that renting was kind of a waste of money. And I know there are some different thought processes on that, but um, I, at that age, I didn't want to rent. So I was like, I need to find a house. So I looked at, you know, I got pre-qualified. Um, I got a realtor. I started seeing what I could afford. Um, and I found a foreclosed house that was like three doors down from my sister. Um, and I ended up purchasing that house. Like I said, FHA loan, three and a half percent down. Um, at that time, they were offering, the government was offering some money back or it's like money towards closing. You had to stay in the house a certain number of years. Um, so I took advantage of that and the house didn't need a lot of work. I'm actually living in the house now. I just moved back in to that first house. Oh, um, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always kind of had a passion for an interest and now passion in real estate. And I've, over the last, I would say two years, I've just been studying more and more, trying to get more knowledgeable about the uh, real estate market, buying wholesalers, brokers, just trying to get as much info as I can to make good investment decisions. When you first yeah. bought that one, were you hyper-focused on foreclosures or did it just happen to be a foreclosed home? 
it just happened. So um, the first realtor that I was dealing with, he was showing me, um, he was showing me a lot of townhomes um, because I was so young and he kind of, he was finding houses for me, I guess, just showing me what was out there. Um, I came across this property through my sister who saw the sign go up. So she lived three doors down. She was like, hey, I think you need to look at this house. It's a foreclosure. It should be within your budget, your price range. Nice. Um, so I was looking at the townhomes initially and they hit you with the HOA fees, um, flood insurance, whatever it might be. And so that initially turned me off to buying houses. I had kind of taken a break. And then, like I said, my sister had saw this property. And so I jumped on it. Um, and it was a pretty, pretty smooth process, the FHA process and, and bidding on the house. Um, I will say that I didn't know at the time that you didn't have to bid the exact um, price that they listed, the list price. So I actually went above list price by a few thousand dollars to try to make sure that I won it because it was bidding. So I'm thinking it's competitive. Um, mm. I will mm. never know. Um, if I did the right thing or not, but it's working out to be a good investment so far. So I can't go backwards, but that's, that's funny, actually. Yeah. You're, the, you're bidding and then you're thinking, well, I need to go, you know, X amount of dollars yeah. out just to get it. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. Right. Need to get this <laughs> <jump>. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. All right. So, um, so that was, that was kind of the, the first one, mm -hmm. um, any anything anything else um, special or in particular about the first one before we before we kind of move on into the to the multifamily side? So you moved into that first one, um, and then how long how long before you moved out? And then you did you get another one when you moved out, or did you rent for a while, or how'd that go? So my career changed. So when I when I bought this first house, I asked my best friend to move in with me. So that worked out well. We're still best friends today. No drama. Um, but she kind of helped me pay my mortgage, um, you know, house hacking, I guess, and getting people in to help you pay your mortgage down. I stayed in that house for two years and then I got a new job. So I got the job that I currently have now. And that took me to Northern Virginia. Um, so I ended up renting it out, renting it on my own, self-managing, um, because my best friend at the time stayed and she was living with her boyfriend. And then when they moved out, I found another renter who rented for the next six and a half, seven years. Um, so that went well. I did not purchase another property when I moved to Northern Virginia. I was kind of scared to um, get myself into more debt. And I was didn't know the market. I wasn't studying up on it or anything like that. Um, I wish I would have taken advantage of it because you know, buying in that area is great, especially at that time. This was like 2012. Um, there were, I could have taken advantage of a lot of good deals at that time. And I just wasn't knowledgeable enough to, to do that. Um, and then I moved back in 20, I moved back two years later. So I was renting in Northern Virginia. I moved back two years later to get married. Um, and I bought a property with my husband, I guess, with my ex-husband, but it was just in my name. And then we bought a property together. Um, so I had made several purchases since that first property. Um, we're now divorced and like the, the multifamily and the properties that I have now are all mine, but I have purchased several properties since then. Um, and I would say the biggest lesson learned is to get a property management, <laughs> get a property management company um, and to raise rents. So uh, the tenant who was here um, at this property at the first 
house I purchased, I hadn't raised rents in seven years. So mm-hmm. I lost a lot of money. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was good to get the mortgage paid, but you know, when the HVAC went out, when the hot water heater went out, I just had to replace all the carpet, paint, appliances, like none of that was covered because I didn't raise rents. Um, so I would say that was my big, my biggest lesson learned, get a property manager who there's no emotion involved. You don't want to be nice because it's a nice tenant. You know, they do what has to be done. They raise the rents every year. They do the yearly maintenance, right, to keep the property up to snuff. Uh, I would say that that's my biggest lesson learned. Yeah, no doubt. I, yeah. I think those are major. But my bad, came finish. No, no, finish. go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say those, those are major takeaways, right? So what what I start to see now, especially with homes that are preoccupied, have tenants in there already, the owners have been charging the same amount for the last seven, eight, ten years. Now knowing, or maybe they do know mm-hmm. about it, but they're not reflecting. Like there's a market change is happening, so right. they're losing a lot of money. And also, what happens right. after that is that you're losing a lot of potential buyers because now they're thinking. That that's where how much I have to rent it or I have to put so much work into it for me to raise it up to you know its current value. So right. that's that's a very powerful point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm actually I'm doing that now with one of my tenants and not raising the rents because they don't <laughs> they call me like like once in two years. So I'm like they chilling, the grass, they don't bother me. What's a hundred dollars a month? I'm good. It adds up, man. It adds up. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. All right, so um, yeah, let's. I, I think let's let's switch a little bit into the the multifamily space. So so you, it sounds like you you know you got the first property, made a couple other purchases after that. What um, how'd you get in the multifamily? How that transition from single family to multi happen? Um, I guess through just educating myself more about real estate, um, listening to various podcasts. Um, there's different schools of thought. There are people who love single family and they'll never stray away from it. And then there are people who go bigger um, and they recognize the importance of economies of scale, right? Mm -hmm. So understanding that you have one mortgage and if you have one tenant and that tenant doesn't pay, you're out of luck. If you got five tenants, 10 tenants, 20, whatever, and two or three people don't pay, you're still making money and you're still able to cover the mortgage, right? So it's, I think it's easier to make profit. It's easier to cover that debt. Um, it's easier to generate wealth, in my opinion. So that's when I started to switch my focus from single family um, to more multifamily. Um, multifamily, in my opinion, is harder to find. The deals are harder to find. You have to go to specific websites, right? Um, it's not really listed. I mean, some stuff is listed on the MLS, but you got to you got to network, you got to get to know brokers and, and realtors who focus in that space. Um, and, the, and the deals require a lot more money, right? So it just requires uh, a lot more knowledge and experience and a stronger network to find those deals. But I think it's worth it in the long run. The profits are better. But there's also a lot of room to mess up. So it's kind of <laughs> gift and a curse, if you will. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So how long after you started like researching, did you really say like, all right, I'm serious about this. Let's go find a deal. Let's go make it happen. Did you take a while to research or were you kind of like, I'm gonna research a little bit, but let's go, let's go make it happen like now. Um, I had started studying real estate in general more intensely, I would say for about a year. And so mm-hmm. what that looked like was bigger pockets um that looked like me joining the local RIA, the real estate meetups um 
just me putting my feelers out, looking at the MLS, trying to run numbers myself. Um, and after a while, I had come across um, I had come across a mentor. Um, and so essentially what it was, social media, very powerful. A friend of mine was posting, like reposting a friend of his. And this friend was heavy into multifamily. Um, and I asked that friend about this guy. Hey, who's this guy? What is he about? Um, they went to college together. Um, and I followed that guy and I followed him for like, I don't know, six months. So most of that year I was just following this guy and kind of watching his consistency watching what he was doing. Um, and so eventually I decided to pay the costs to get mentored, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people want mentorship and they want help, but they don't want to pay the costs. Um, they don't want to do what it takes to get that help. So I decided to pay for, for mentorship. And that's really what got me into the multifamily space because he was doing it, living it, breathing. And that's all he pretty much does. Um, so he was able to ramp up my learning curve. What did that mentorship look like, though? Was it like one-on-one -on -one time with him? Was it in group settings? Was it literature to read? What what, what was part of that? He essentially gave me um, access to all of his tools. So he gave me rental meter. He gave me um, access to the, it's not the MLS, the realist reports. Um, he gave me spreadsheets. He gave me literature. It was one-on-one -on -one times. Um it was emails. He was very responsive. So I could email him at 5 a.m. He responded at 5.30. Um, mm. He was up early, staying up, staying up late, um, just very responsive. Um, and he would look at, I would send him deals. He would look at the deal, help me analyze it. Why is this a good deal? Why is this a bad deal? Nice. Um, he would help me make offers. Just pretty much any, any question I asked, he was there to answer it for me. So... I thought it was very beneficial. Um, I don't know if he still does it in that format anymore because I think it was like the early stages of mentoring for him. And I think he's since evolved. But for me, that was very beneficial because I was just asking any question that came to mind that I wanted to know about, he was there for. Yeah, you can't put a price tag on that. <laughs> the, you know, the accessibility to someone that has experience like that, that, you know, that's their market. That's what they know inside and out. Yeah, it's hard to put a price on that. So that's, that's how that's, yeah. So, yeah. So that's um I, I think that's big the paying the cost of, of mentorship because I feel like that that just catapults you to like learning from learning to like firsthand experience hands on being able to get whatever question you want answered. Um, so was would you say your mentor was like the first like piece of your team that you were building? Oh, definitely. So um, he was definitely the catalyst for change. And he was the glue, I guess, that put us all together. Um, so like I said, he did this day in and day out. And he's actually the one who brought me the deal um, for the multifamily. So I bought a 10 unit um, in Greensboro. And he does a lot of his business between Richmond and Greensboro. Um, so he was actually the one who brought me the deal. He was the one who had the relationship with the broker. Because um, you're your reputation is everything. So if people know that you can close, people know that you're a deal maker, they'll bring you deals. Um, so he received a deal and he passed it along to me based on what I told him my goals were. So at that time I was still thinking kind of small. I was like, oh, maybe I want a four unit or a five unit. Um, but he brought me, he brought me the 10 unit. He was like, hey, see if this deal works for you. See if this is what you want to attack. You'll double your goal of four or five units, you know, you'll hit that goal and surpass it. So 
um, he was definitely the glue for the team that we put together. Was this the off market item or was it on the MLS? It was off market. Off market, solid. Okay. It might have been on like LoopNet or something like that, but not nice. the traditional MLS. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. Nice. All right. So it sounds like he, so he, we know how you found the deal, mentor you the deal, introduced you to the broker. So we got mentor, we got the broker. Uh, so who, who else is kind of part of this team that you're building? So, like I said, there, there was a guy that I worked with at my first job, which is who I found my mentor through. Mm -hmm. um, they all went to North Carolina a &T. So the team essentially consists of the mentor who was the asset manager. Um, it consists of some of his peers that he went to college with or his network of engineers at North Carolina a &T. And then it consisted of me and the partner that I found um, through Old Dominion. So I had to reach out to my network. So we came to the deal. We decided we want to pursue it. Um, we had to fund the deal. So I had to reach out to my network to fund the deal, to find partners, people who wanted to come in on the deal with me. Um, so I had to send out you know, brochures saying, hey, this is the deal. This is how much money I'm looking for. Are you interested? Um, so again, it consisted of a lot of North Carolina A&T people, engineers, networking, minorities, which is our focus, um, trying to generate wealth for minorities and do deals together. And then me and um, a girl from Old Dominion. What, what was on the brochure? Like I, I, now I'm, I'm becoming like a student right now because I'm, I'm really interested in like, what did you have to do in order to show people, hey, this is like the route we need to go in. Like what was on that brochure? Ooh, all right, let me see. There was obviously the financials. It's not going to be in order, right? There was the financials. So you, when you're doing a deal, you get financials from the current property owner or property right. manager. So there were the financials, which consists of the rent, utilities, management fees. Um, I don't know, like, I guess just general financials. I'm trying to, and there were a few more items, but yeah. those general financials. Um, then you add in the market summary. So they do a market analysis, which I think we paid for through a company who does that. They specialize in it, but they look at your market and they say, you know, these are the types of jobs that are in the market. This is what we project the market will do in the next few years. This is the growth that we see. Um, there are these type of workers in the market, um, college students. So they give you a good analysis of the market and let you know, hey, is this a good market to invest in or not? Um, we also include what we plan to do with the property. So um, they say, hey, this is the current, what the property currently looks like pictures. And this is what we wanna do. We want to raise rents. We want to do repairs and maintenance. Um, we want to try to make a profit or uh, refinance out of the deal in how many years. We want to sell the property in X number of years. Um, so all of that is kind of in this brochure and then it lets you know who the team is. So it lets you know who the asset manager is um, and then it lets you know who the principal investor was. So I was the principal investor for the deal. Um, and then it asks you for money. Hey, yeah. we want you to invest <laughs> X amount of dollars in this deal. Um, this is everything we plan to do. This is what the deal looks like. This is how much money we think you're gonna make. What do you think? Um, and so that document might've been I don't know, 15 to 20 pages long because it's financials and everything in there. 
um, pictures of the property, everything like that. It's a pretty comprehensive document. And then, so we send that out to potential investors and then whoever has questions, they're able to ask us. And so my asset manager who was mentor, was very knowledgeable, will sit down and go line by line with you if you want to. What is this line item? What does this mean? Line by line, he'll sit on the phone and talk to you about the deal to make sure you're comfortable before you invest. Solid. Solid. So I've heard of, um, in the single family space, you hear property manager a lot. Mm -hmm. um, is there a difference between a property manager and an asset manager? Like what's the asset manager's role? So the asset manager is kind of like a go-between. Um, he is in on the deal with, in this, in my instance, it might be different in other deals. He is in on the deal with very little money invested. His, his investment is his knowledge, is his skill set. So he pretty much manages the deal as it pertains to the investors. So we have a separate property management company, but the asset manager communicates with the property manager. The asset manager set up the inspection. He talks to the broker. He talks to the banks. He gets the appraisals. Um, he works on the refinance, all of that stuff. He handles all of that. And then he communicates it back to the investors. So he's like an extra layer so that, you know, if there are five investors, we don't all ping on the property manager. We're not all trying to refinance and talk to the bank. You know, he's kind of like that go-between. Nice. I that, that's me. Yeah, yeah, that's solid. That's very smart too, because you see a lot of breakdowns in communication, right? So imagine if you had five investors, all of them are, you know, calling the property manager about different issues, or they're calling the banks about different things. Now it's convoluted because you don't know exactly what's happening, and it's that's solid. That's a that's a major role for him, uh, actually, mm -hmm. asset manager. So what what is his? I'm assuming from asset manager, is it like a a, a monthly fee or is it just he's he has equity in the deal so that's how he's getting paid how does that work for us it was equity in the deal okay so he has a portion of the deal to bring his expertise okay so, so. Uh, when we're uh when we're talking about the brochure and finding investors and all that stuff how many i guess how many people did you have to go through like how many people you think looked at the deal but didn't go through with it and then how many people did you end up with investing so I, I reached out verbally through text, email, instant messenger, whatever. Uh, I don't know, 50 people? Mm. Because in your mind, um, so as a mentor, part of the exercise that he had me do was make a list of everybody who I thought had $50,000 saved. Like mm. pick a number, make a list of people that you think have this money so that you are building your not necessarily buyer list or par partner list, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I already had a list of people that I thought, hmm, maybe you're in a market or you work at a job where you should make some decent money, or I know you, I know you a little bit more intimately and I know your financial picture. Um, so I had a pretty short list. Uh, so I would say I reached out to maybe 50 people. Um, maybe 10 of those people said, yeah, send it over to me, send me the brochure, the packet. Um, I had, two people, excuse me, I had three people tell me that they would invest, two of those people dropped out. So I brought to the table one investor. When you talk about the team, um, a lot of the asset manager slash mentors, buddies, North Carolina peers, um, they stepped up to invest in a deal. Um, so he was able to reach out. I was like, hey, I raised this much money. 
you know, raise this much money. I found a partner to invest this much. And he was like, okay, I have some other people who are interested in investing. So that's kind of how the team was formed and that's how we funded the deal. But it's definitely frustrating when somebody tells you, oh yeah, I got $25,000, I got $50,000. And you're like, okay, bet, send in the documents and you get closer to the time where you got to put up the money and then they disappear because that happens. <laughs> They're like, oh, I got it. It's one thing if they just say, oh, I'm no longer interested. It's worse when they just ghost you. So that's yeah. kind of what happened to me. They just disappeared on me. Yeah, yeah. That's tough. I, and I think that happens with a lot of things, right? Like big group vacations, everybody yeah. in. <laughs> to get the flight in the hotel. Yeah. People drop out. Then a week before, a couple more people drop out. So I, I know it's got to be frustrating to try to to try to build this deal that you that you got under contract at this point that you're trying to close on and, and folks are steadily dropping out. Um, do what do you, do you is there a reason you think people are dropping out? Like, do you think it's like an education thing? Did anybody think like, nah, this is a scam? Like, you ain't you can't you can't get my money in no real estate. Um, I think I think in general um, there are multiple reasons. So I don't know why that person flaked or why those two people flaked. Um, Cause they ghosted me. So <laughs> that kind of, as a side note, that kind of hurts your relationship, right? If somebody mm -hmm. doesn't think enough of you to just decline, but neither here nor there. I think people pass or opt out because they're afraid to put that much money on the line. I think for me, it was my first larger deal. So whereas I could say, Hey, I've purchased a couple of single family homes. I had not done a deal of that size. Um, it might be because they don't, they're uneducated. They don't know enough about real estate and investing and what it takes to put your money somewhere for five or 10 years. Um, so, I mean, I think those are the main reasons, probably fear and not educated. Let me ask you this though. So on, on the flip side, you're going through it and you just mentioned that's one of your biggest deals. Like, what was your confidence level? Like, were you sure like, Hey, this is like this is it or were you kind of nervous at the same time to put that much money up? I was nervous, but I understand that investment equals mm -hmm. risk. Yeah. Um, and I think with real estate, you have something tangible. It's not like putting your money in the stock market and it just kind of, you know, you got some stocks somewhere yeah. in, in the atmosphere, right? It's very tangible. So, you know, at the end of the day, I can sell this or get rid of this for some amount of money. Um, it, I, in my mind, it was like, I can't suffer a complete loss because there's something tangible that it's attached to. Um, so I think that gave me comfort. And then I'm just, I figured I'm young. And if I, if I miss out at this age, uh, you know, I can make it back. And at that point I didn't have a son, you know? So I was like, if I lose this money, it is what it is. I took a risk. I calculated risk. I tried to do my due diligence. I tried to study up as much as I could. If I lose out, you know, it kind of happens when you're, when you have big goals. So. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Um, so going back to the financials a little bit, were the financials good? Like when you, when you were going through the financials, did it already cash flow, or did, or did you have to say, all right, this is how much you're renting now. This is how much we should be renting for. Therefore, this is what the cash flow is going to be. Yeah, they definitely overstated uh, their financials, which is why you have to do your due diligence, um, which just includes like trying to get the best financial picture as possible, trying to get actual like bank statements to see what was deposited and make sure it matches up. 
So um, at the time the property was fully rented, so it was a 10 unit and all 10 units were rented out. They weren't fully transparent about the late rent. So a lot of people, I think someone ended up getting evicted and two or three people were behind on the rent. Um, this property also had a lot of section eight, which is good and bad, right? Just, it has its, uh, it has its benefits and downsides. Um, so they definitely overstated. And with like anything, you try to ask for the most money you can ask for. So we end up knocking down the price. We were able to negotiate it down based on um, what they were actually receiving in rent, the condition of the property. So after the appraisal, we were able to ask for concessions and things like that. And we were able to get the price down. Um, but yeah, we definitely try to look as best as we can at the financials and just try to base it off of what the market is doing, what they're currently doing, um, what they're currently receiving. Like I said, the, the management fees, how much maintenance is needed um, just to make the best offer as possible and get the best deal as possible. So, but, so this property was kind of kind of looking at the, the deal behind it. So this property was off market. So you weren't using a broker or did you use a broker for the transaction? We did use a broker okay. um, that had just had a relationship with the seller. I got it. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Solid. Was that was that always in the plans to use a broker, or was it just kind of a situation because they were comfortable with the seller, they wanted to do it that way? I think they were just comfortable with the seller. So the seller, I mean, it's like, I mean, maybe it was on the market, but I don't, I don't think it was. I think they had an existing relationship, maybe when that buyer bought the property. Um, and so maybe they just reached back out to that broker and then the broker marketed to my mentor slash asset manager. Gotcha. Okay. So. I, I want to pivot a little bit, Kim, if you don't mind. I, I want to get into yeah. like the, the process because mm -hmm. I, like I said, I'm a student right now because I've had so many conversations, you know, calling people, hey, we need to do multi, multi, multi. But at the same time, I wasn't well versed in it. Right. So. I, I get the financial part of it. You guys did your due diligence, looked at the market and outsourced someone at work to make sure you're, you know, you can speak to it intelligently. So you formed the team. Then what happened after that? Like, were you guys doing the paperwork, like whether it's, uh, you know, getting incorporated as a company before doing the purchase? Like, can you walk us through that process a little bit? Sure. From, you know, first day to actually closing? Sure. So for first day, I would say my mentor sent me the deal. We submitted a letter of intent, which is just our offer based on the financials that we received. Um, there was some back and forth negotiating on the price for that. Uh, we then get under contract. So we do the appraisal and the inspection. Okay. Based on the inspection, we renegotiated the price again. Okay. Say, hey, this stuff is broken. We're not yeah. going to pay that. Right. Renegotiate. Same thing as with a single family. Uh, we settled on a price. And so then we had, you know, we're in what for a single family home is what, 30, 45 days. Well, mm -hmm. it took five months total from the time I received um, the notice from my mentor to the time we closed, about five months. Okay. Um, so we did the inspection. Um, we did form, had to, had to fund the deal. So reaching out, trying to find partners. Um, people to finance the deal. Um, we did form an LLC. So how it is, how it works is I have an LLC with my partner, my partner from Old Dominion. Um, there were two other LLCs that joined. So 
let's say Pat, you found a friend and y'all formed Pat LLC. Okay. And then Keem, you found a friend and y'all formed Akeem LLC. Then those LLCs came together to form the purchasing LLC, the overarching LLC. And so we had to come up with an operating agreement, which is says, this is how our LLCs are gonna function. Who, who has what stakes? How does voting work? What happens if we wanna add more people to the LLC? What happens if we, if we need more money? How do you get out of it? Kind of all those documents, um, all that legalese we put together to form the LLC, the overarching LLCs. Um, we then had to get funding from the bank. So uh, we did do a commercial loan. I cannot, I don't remember the term specifically, but I think it was like 5.5% amortized over 30 years. And then you got to refinance out of it, you know, in like, I think five years, something like, something like that. So we did have to work with the bank. Um, that consisted of sending all of your information, your taxes, your bank records, um, your, if you're a W-2 employee, you know, your pay stubs, um, how liquid you are. So you send everything, that's 401k, IRA, like as much as documents that you can show to so that you can handle this mortgage, right? Because I was the principal investor. So I had to send yeah. all, documents, all of my information to say, hey, I got money. I can facilitate this loan. Um, we also, during that time, we had several meetings. So member meetings, right? Because remember, I only knew the mentor um, and he attached me to the other people. So we had meetings to talk about the operating agreement, talk about um, maintenance that we wanted to do, make sure we had enough funding, um, get to know each other in general. Like just, hey, who are you? What does your face look like? Where do you live? What's your history? Um, just getting to know each other so that we felt comfortable with these partners. Um, and I guess a funny story is uh, my boyfriend's father went to North Carolina A&T. So as I told him I was buying this property, the father reached out to a friend and was like, hey, what do you know about this guy? And he was like, yeah, I know this guy. And he was like, yeah, my son's uh, girlfriend is investing in this 10 unit deal. And the guy was like, yeah, I'm in on the deal too. So that created like that connection because it's like, okay, the world is small, mm. you know, your network is everything, but that created ease on my part because nice. you know each other, right? Mm -hmm. So that made the deal easier as far as forming the team and just getting comfortable. Um, other than that, I would say we did a lot of waiting and there was just a lot of paperwork kind of back and forth with the banks, making sure everybody submitted their documents, um, making sure the appraisal went through. And then it was, I mean, obviously the closing process. So I actually closed on a boat. I was on a cruise when it was like, cause they, they kept pushing the closing back and pushing the closing back. So I had to figure out how to wire money from the cruise and mm -hmm. sign documents like abroad. I did have to go to the bank at one point just to sign documents that said, um, this is the LLC, right? So I have um, checks and I have a card that just, I can make purchases against the account. Um, but that was pretty much it. And, and I guess that's, again, the importance of the asset manager because he managed a lot of those conversations and paperwork to make sure that we were all on point and sending in the data that we needed to send in. And then he's experienced in that, so he's the plug. Mm -hmm. So he's been yeah. there, he, he knows that. Yeah, that's that's definitely something you're keeping in the pocket. Yeah, definitely. definitely. <laughs> Thanks. The, I, I wanna go back to the inspection. So did you guys have to do, was there a specialist 
you know, traditional uh, one to four units, you could probably get a regular home inspector to do that, but for, for a 10 unit, or were you kind of using a, a different subset of people or is that one group that was doing it? How did y'all do that? So this, the inspector was recommended through the property manager. Okay. And so again, a lot of these relationships were already built okay. for me. I kind of walked, I had, I had the easy button, right? Um, based on the asset manager slash mentor. Um, but the inspector was recommended from the property manager. Um, and they walked every unit, which is very important. Don't ever skip units because you yeah. don't know what's hiding. Um, they got on the roof. They checked out AC units. Um, there's an extra storage unit. So they checked out everything. Um, so I don't know specifically if they were a specialist, um, but you figure a multifamily is very similar to a multifamily uh, unit is very similar to a single family. Mm. They both got kitchens, tubs, showers, toilets, mm. carpet, electrical. Um, I guess it's just being versed in maybe the different brands and labels to know what you're looking for of that size and magnitude to make sure that it fits something that big. But I would say it's pretty standard as far as what you're looking for in an inspection. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, that's funny because that was that was actually going to be my next question. That the question Pat asked, and then how you answered it was going to be how I asked you to answer it. Like <laughs> single families a little bit as much as you can because I feel like that's yeah. what most people, most people know. Um, so the LLC stuff did did you all? Mm. A lawyer, or did you do it yourself? Did some people go through a lawyer, others didn't? Some people went through a lawyer, others didn't. So, um, I leveraged an LLC that I had created previously. Um, so when I started learning about real estate, the first thing they tell you is you need an LLC, you need a company. Yeah. So, I went through LegalZoom, right? Yeah. I pay all that money to go through LegalZoom. Now I know you can do it a little bit cheaper if you do it yourself, right? But um, I had already done, I had already paid the money, I guess, for LegalZoom to do it for me. And then I just filed the paperwork to add um, my partner to it. Um, but other people did use lawyers because you want somebody to look over your documents and make sure you're okay. secure. Definitely. So because you, you mentioned that, you know, the bank, of course, they're, they're doing their own due diligence. So they're making mm -hmm. sure whoever's going to be on here could actually financially support this. So because you're the principal uh, contributor, they're looking only at your documents or everyone that's involved in the in the process? They're looking at my documents. So my partner, they didn't ask her for anything. Okay. They're looking at my documents. Yep. I got you. I got you. So you're basically, you're like, you're carrying this burden of everything that's going on. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they did, I want to say they did ask for some documentation from the asset manager, I guess, just because he was like the point person. Mm -hmm. Um. But they, yeah, my partner definitely didn't have to submit any bank statements or pay stubs or anything like that. Just stuff, yeah. Nice, nice. Do, um, do like small local banks do these type of loans? Do you got to go to a bigger, like Wells Fargo, Bank of America? Or do you have to go? No, we went through VCC, Virginia, Community, Capital, don't get me lying, something like that. VCC <laughs> Bank. <laughs> Um, smaller banks do do these loans and it's actually recommended that you um, form a relationship again relationships everything form a relationship with your banker um, that way when you do these deals they have a lot of your information on file they know that you're a good buyer uh, they know that you can close 
Um, so it is recommended that you go with smaller banks. Um, they're more flexible in their lending power than a bigger bank who's typically more stringent. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Right. So, so looking at it now, kind of, kind of, you know, the conversation going from before to during, right? And then, you know, you mentioned some of the things you guys for like your exit strategy down the road. Mm-hmm. But right now, so what do you guys? I guess, I guess, is in your operating agreement. I'm assuming. But if anything were to happen to the property, damages, stuff like that, what do y'all do? We would meet. We would call a meeting, okay. investor meeting. Okay. Um, so we meet right now. We're supposed to meet every three months. We've been slacking on that, honestly. Okay. But I think everybody's just been caught up with COVID. We still get mm. statements um, every quarter, and we look at those individually. We kind of talk through email. Um, but we would call a meeting so that we all come together to understand what the expense is, like what's going on, what's needed. The asset manager would um, already typically, like when we're making repairs and turning over the units, they already figure out how much the repairs are gonna cost. So we would discuss that and we would vote. So essentially I'm the principal investor. Mm -hmm. Everybody else would have to outvote me, (laughs) really. So, um, I mean, obviously I'm pretty easy going. If it makes sense, you know, I'm going to do it for the property. Except I like the president out here. That's kind of how it works, right? <laughs> All, everybody else would have to outvote me, but um, we would just discuss it. And then if we needed more money, we would determine who can put up the money. Can I put up mm. more money? Can my partner, can the other LLCs? Um, and then we would have to refine the, the operating agreement and just make sure we update our documentation so that everything is outlined as far as who contributed what, you know, how do you get paid back? How does that change your ownership percentage? Things like that. Cool. Have, have y'all had to do that much? Like uh, revisit the operating agreement? No, not yet. So we're it's only been, I guess it's been a year now in November. We closed late September. So it's been a, a little bit over a year. Um, we have talked about expenses. So like one of the, the turnover of one unit was like very expensive and it was above what we had outlined in that packet and and what we thought it was going to cost so it was just some questions like hey what's going on with this unit why is it costing so much um like what's going on and so the asset manager had to get back with the property manager to ask those questions like what's going on why is this costing so much why is it taking so long um you know what repairs are you doing so we have I guess we have a good repu- um, we have a good relationship with the property manager, so we allow them to kind of run on their own. And so, in this particular unit, they have put better finishes in. So we're like, wait a minute, that's not called <laughs> this type of property. We want it to be nice. We want it to be clean, affordable, right, functional. Um, but it, we we don't need these high end finishes. So I think they were putting in higher end finishes than what the property called for. So in the next flip or the next uh, unit turnover, um, we were able to scale back the expenses. But that's the only time we've really talked about um, cost and like something was unexpected. Are you charging more for that unit because it has the higher finishes? So we have been able to turn over the units. Yep, so I didn't didn't talk about that a lot, but um, that was part of the reason that we purchased it. They were not renting at current market rates. Mm, So when we got into it, um, they were renting at $500 a unit. Market rates were about $700 a unit. So we had a lot of room 
for improvement and to increase the rents. Um, so we do currently, we're slowly but surely turning over the units. Um, a lot of them are coming up on the end of their leases, I wanna say in December. Um, so we should either see more turnovers or lease renewals at a higher rate. Um, and of course we won't jack it up from 500 to 700. Right, like, right. Incrementally raise rents um, for the tenants that decide to stay. But we do have some people who are right at that 700 um, rent. I think one person is at that 700 and then two people might be at like 675, something like that. So I think that unit uh, with the higher end finishes is rented for 700. Mm -hmm. um, can we can we talk about that a little bit? Like taking, sure. can, so I think we talked about like finding the deal, uh, putting the LLC together, doing appraisal inspection, et cetera, et cetera. Can we talk about like taking control of the property? So did you, did you, uh, you know, did you get off the cruise and run to the property? <laughs> um, did y'all have to kick any bad tennis out? Did you have to immediately start doing renovations on anything, fill vacancies? Like how's that process of we've closed on the deal, you know, we got the keys, um, now it's time to take care of the property. Is there any like immediate things y'all had to do as, as soon as you closed? Yeah, so um, I visited the property during the inspection is when I was able to drive down from Richmond to Greensboro um, and see the property. I have not been back to the property since. Um, that's what my property managers are for. Um, but so, so when we closed, um, they turned over the keys uh, to the property manager or the asset manager. One of them got the keys. Um, before we closed, I think one tenant had already been evicted. So of course, this is before COVID, you could evict people. <laughs> um, but one, one tenant had already been evicted. So they immediately began to, began to turn over that unit and make sure, just fix it up. Um, a lot of the units were dark. So adding fresh lighting, paint, carpet, things like that. Um, and just marketing at that higher rent. Um, we did have some people who came off of their lease um, and they renewed at the higher rate. And then I think we had one or two people that we tried to jack up their rent, not jack up, that's so bad. We tried to, <laughs> we tried to increase their rent and they did not <laughs> renew. <laughs> keep up, keep up with rent value, fair market value, fair, fair market, market value. Rate. Just jack try and get with them Bad bourbon, So we did have to do some immediate turnovers of the units. Um, we did, you know, send some payer quits to the people who were paying late. And so some of those people caught up, um, some of those people moved out. Um, and so I guess just the, the first steps were just take the keys, get the people out who weren't paying and get new people in, get the units ready to rent um, and just try to turn it over as, as soon as possible. Nice. And, and so do right the, now, the, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Kane. No, my bad. Uh, do the tenants know that like we got- yeah. Because right, I want right. to say, like, I was, right. I rented in a high rise before, and mm -hmm. um, somebody else took over, and like, they changed everything. Like, they paid, <laughs> they redid the lobby, redid the gym, mm -hmm. out. Like, we, we in charge now, we the captain of the ship. So, like, did the tenants know that, like, somebody new coming in? So, they didn't know throughout the whole process, but I think once we closed, they knew because we definitely changed the name of the, of the building, right? Okay. Um, we didn't do, the property didn't need a lot of exterior maintenance and repair and paint and things like that. Um, of course, you know, you send out a documentation that says, hey, this is a new property management company. This is how you pay. 
you know, this is the new portal you got to go to. So those documents and things were sent out once we took over. Um, but throughout the whole process, the previous owner was like, don't let them know you're just here as a new partner. Like he didn't want the tenants to know throughout the process. That, that was actually my question. I, I, got, I got a statement and I got a question because that was, that was a good one. My statement is I got chills. Like saying, like, like just hearing you saying I changed the name of the building and things like right, that. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that generational wealth, like at its finest. That's that's yeah. beautiful, man. Godly. And then the second part of it was like, was there going back to the tenant conversation? Did you have a like a shot of a mass email say, hey, this is us, we're new, or like what any anything at all that you communicate as a new team involved? So not not us, not me, but okay. the property managers got it. Okay. Communicated. Mm-hmm. Because gotcha. yeah, I mean, I guess in my mind, you don't want not that I'll not that I'll go see the tenants or be there ever, yeah. but a lot of times you don't want your tenant to know who the owners are in case there's anything bad or going wrong. You don't want them to be able to come knock on your door or call you directly or anything like that. So you try to keep that layer of I don't know anonymous. What is the word? you want to you want to make sure you keep that buffer just between you and your tenants so that you can do business and there's no blowback on you if anything bad happens that's crazy yeah that's that's definitely crazy because i remember we were in our when we were we were in our high rise i forgot what it was called before they changed it but they came in changed the name made it fancy I forgot what it was before, but they changed it to the Harlow. I was like, oh, okay, we got the fancy joint now. <laughs> uh, um, so really my my next question was gonna be like, what's the what's the plan for the property? Yeah. Um, so we plan to the plan initially is to refinance in five years. So we've only been in it one year. We're slowly, like I said, raising rents to meet the market, um, turning over units slowly but surely. And then ideally we wanna be out of the property in 10 years. Um, so sell it, get rid of it in 10 years. If, if it works out that we can do that earlier and it makes sense financially, we can come away, come away with a good game, then we'll do it earlier. But that's the plan as it stands right now. So to slowly raise rents um, to the market rates, um, improve the units, refinance in five years, and get out of the deal in 10 years. So my, my, my last question is kind of, it sounds like you guys have a good process to the point where you even might set it up as, you know, rinse and repeat. Are you guys looking at another property right now, or are you just trying to maintain this one and kind of learn from there before you do anything else? So um, I personally am just on cruise control right now. I think for the past year, I was pregnant, had my first mm-hmm. kid, COVID, you know, life has just been looking different for me. Um, my mentor slash asset manager is full steam ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, some people on my team are full steam ahead. So I think it varies um, just based on where people are in their journey. For me, I just kind of hit the pause button for this year based on everything that was going on. Um, but we are definitely keeping our eye out for deals. Like I, I still look at deals and, and analyze them because I don't want to pass up anything that's like too good to be true, right? It's, I don't want to pass up a great deal just because, you know, I'm dealing with family issues or, you know, embarking on a new journey, I guess, for myself. 
Um, I still hope to, before COVID happened, my goal was like 20 doors. Um, so I wanted to double. My goal every year was to double. So one year I bought the single family. I have bought the duplex. That's why my other goal was four, but I hit 10. So I'm like, well, I got to go bigger. I want to do 20. So I think I'll pick back up that goal next year. Um, and it's just slow and steady. I don't want to rush anything. I want to make sure the numbers look right. We all know that COVID is happening and we're kind of waiting to see what the market is doing and what foreclosures are going to happen, unfortunately, kind of short sales, things like that. Um, so I'm kind of waiting and just making sure that I make good buying decisions, good financial decisions for me and my family. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Uh, one more, one more uh, question for me. How, how, uh, how many hours would you say you spend on real estate a week? A week? Oh, right now? <laughs> right now is not a good indicator because I'm a new mom. But no, I would say, I would say right now at this moment, like this week, last week, I still spend... I don't know, maybe two hours a day, just watching, listening to podcasts or joining the the meetings that are virtual. I haven't ventured out to go to any meetings in person just because of the environment. Um, before it was, oof, I would say maybe four or five hours a day, just because I, I travel a lot typically for work. So I'm on planes and in cars and traveling just a lot by myself a lot of alone time so I was able to consume a lot of material read a lot of books things like that so before it was much higher now not so much because I'm trying to manage mommyhood and sleep and <laughs> just figuring it all out yeah that, that. Cool. Tim I appreciate your time man this is this is dope yeah. this is dope yeah, yeah. This, thank this you for having me thank you for having me and hopefully I can Talk to you guys about the next deal whenever I hit that next market. Hey, I'll let your boy. Sure. Hey, 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 stop recording. Hey, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> I'll definitely let you know for the next one. Thanks. Oh man. Came, man. I appreciate you sharing your platform, man. Straight up. Hey, no, nah, this was this was dope. I enjoy learning about stuff that I don't know nothing about. So uh <laughs> <laughs> this was dope. I appreciate y'all. It took us a took us a minute, a little minute to put it together, but we got it done. So hey, yes, as long as it happens, I appreciate you guys for having me. That's right. Thanks. That's Thank right. you.